Today, we are in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, beginning verse 22, title of the message is Walk in Love. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody, and uh, let's pray, and we'll dive into this. Lord, we love you, and we know, Lord, that we love you because you first loved us, that our love is merely a response to how wonderfully, perfectly, and greatly we have been loved by you. So I pray today that as we consider this call that you have given to us to walk in love, that you would teach us and instruct us and show us, God, what that's supposed to look like in our families, in our marriages, as well as in our relationships with those in our sphere of influence, especially those that don't know you. So we give you this time today in Jesus' name, amen. Before we get into our passage, I want to remind you that Peter is writing here to people who were suffering, it's people who were going through um, great persecution and were encountering just the harsh reality, realities of living in a fallen world. And so he's writing to them, and First Peter does contain a lot of words of comfort, but it also, as we've noted, are, is our marching orders that he gives to us, because Peter understands that even in times of suffering, God calls us to give ourselves to his plan and his purpose. Now, before we move any further, I want to just say this. I know that in a room this size... Many of you here today, and those of you watching online, that a lot of you are going through difficulties right now, that you find yourselves right in the thick of suffering. Some of you have experienced and dealt with and are dealing with right now sickness going on in your family, going on in your life. Some of you have suffered loss, the loss of a loved one, maybe a spouse, maybe a child maybe a dear friend. Others of you, you've experienced the loss of a job. So you're in the midst right now of financial suffering and difficulty. Others of you, your parents whose heart is breaking and weeping just constantly because you have wayward children who have walked away from the Lord. And some of you even who are maybe younger parents are in the midst of, you know, just the difficulty of trying to figure out how do I raise these kids, you know, especially in this world at this particular time. And sometimes when we find ourselves in the midst of suffering, we we tend to fall into this kind of mindset where all we're thinking about is survival, If I can just get through this, if I can just get through this time. But Peter here in his epistle is seeking to give us a a call that goes way beyond that of just survival. It's a call to give ourselves in want, in weakness, even in, in difficulty, to give ourselves to the plan and purpose of God. And we've seen that a couple weeks ago as we hit verse 13, that Peter gave us this calling to walk in holiness. And we noted that it wasn't just a a calling, but really he was saying that holiness is our identity. 
Because the Bible says that we have been made holy by the blood of Jesus Christ. That that's how God sees us. That's who who God has made us. And so Peter was saying, hey, I want to encourage you to be who you are. This is who God has made you. So walk in that reality. And we defined holiness as having a singular purpose. And that singular purpose being to glorify God with our lives. Well, today we're going to see that Peter not only calls us to walk in holiness, but he also calls us, he exhorts us, the Lord is exhorting us to walk in love. I want you to look at verse 22. Follow along as I read. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Now, before we begin to look at what Peter says here about walking in, in love, I want you to notice that this call to walk in love is also a part of our identity. Look back at verse 23. He says this, having been born again. And when he says that, what he's implying here is, hey, something's happened to you. When you gave your life to Christ, you were born again. You've been born of the Spirit. You've been born into the family of God. Remember Jesus told uh, the religious leader Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He says, Nicodemus, you know, you need to have a physical birth. Everybody has a physical birth, but you also need to have a spiritual birth. And he called that being born again, being born of the spirits. God's Spirit coming into your life and bringing your spirit to to life so that you can live in relationship with God. And that's what happens when you embrace Christ, when you give your heart to Christ, that you have been born of the Spirit. And notice he says, born born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, and that being the Word of God. And so he's saying here, this is your identity. Something has happened to you. You have been given in Christ a brand new nature. A nature that now is after him and that belongs to him. In fact, this Wednesday night in our study through the book of 2 Corinthians, we're going to see in chapter 5 where Paul says that in Christ we are a new creation. That old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. And that's the work that God has done in our life, that he has made us a new creation. And that that identity that we have now in him is supposed to affect the way that we approach life. And it's supposed to affect the way that we treat others. It's supposed to affect all of our relationships. And so Peter here is wanting us to, to understand something. He's connecting these ideas that walking in holiness And walking in love go hand in hand because God is holy 
Remember verse 16, be holy because I am holy. God is holy, but God is also love. Let me read to you from 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So here John is saying, hey, if you've been born of God and you know God, you're going to be loving because God is love. That's going to be a part of who you are. It's going to be a part of your nature. He even goes on to say this, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So John is saying, Peter is wanting us to catch that love is to be a part of our new identity as those who have been born of God. In fact, I love what Paul the Apostle says in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, he says this, and God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Think about that. Paul says, look, the very love of God has been poured into you because God has placed his spirit to live inside of you and God's love has been poured into you so that it now can be poured out of you to be a blessing to those that you come in contact with. In fact, I love the way one of my favorite authors, Paul Tripp, puts this. He says, hear this. You're the tone of his voice. You're the look on his face. You're the touch of his hand. You're the incarnation of his goodness. You're sent to reflect his patience. You're sent to reflect his forgiveness. You're sent to reflect his faithfulness. You're sent to reflect that acceptance even when it's not deserved. You're there to be an instrument of his transforming grace. You are called to love. And that's what the Holy Spirit is seeking to bring out of us on a daily basis. Because that's what he's poured into us. That love of Jesus Christ, that perfect love, that love that is unconditional, that, that love that loves the undeserving, that the Holy Spirit placed in our heart has poured that love into us and he's seeking to draw that love out of us. Now, I want you to notice how Peter describes this love and we're going to see four things from our text, beginning in verse 22. He calls it a sincere love. That means that it's a love that is genuine. It's authentic. It's not pretending. And you know, the Bible says that we shouldn't just love in word. It's easy to say, love you, man. It's easy to say that. But he says we're not just to love in word, but we're to love in deed and in truth. So a sincere love doesn't just say it. But it does something to show it. Secondly, he calls it in verse 22, a brotherly love. Sincere love of the brethren. It's a family kind of love. Do you realize that all of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, that we are blood related? Do you realize that? We're connected, every single one of us, by the blood of Jesus Christ. His blood that spilled there at Calvary, it connects us. It's what cleanses us. It saves us. And it's that love that realizes that everyone in this room is still in the process of sanctification. None of us have arrived. We're all still in that process. We're all still being molded and shaped by the Lord. And everyone in this room is also, you know, living where we're facing the realities constantly of living in this fallen world. And the thing is, is that we're called in this brotherly love to stand alongside one another. 
It's a love, in other words, that says, when your knees are weak, I will hold you up. It's a love that says, when your heart is given to doubt, I want to encourage you. It's a love that says, when the problems loom so large in in your life that you've just lost sight of Jesus, I want to come alongside of you and help you see him again. It's a brotherly love. It's a family love. It's a sincere love. And third, it's a fervent love. He says, love one another fervently. That means it's zealous. It's motivated. It it, it means it's self-starting. In other words, it's looking for means and places and situations where it can show love. It means that my eyes and my ears are open to what's going on around me, where I can you know, be involved, that I'm not just sitting around waiting for opportunities, I'm looking for them. It's a love that when it sees a need, doesn't call the church and say, hey, there's a need going on here. You guys need to send somebody down here. But it's a love that realizes, hey, God's showing me this need because he wants me to be a part of the solution. It's that kind of love. And then finally he says that it's a love from a pure heart. The word pure means that it's without mixed motives. In other words, I'm not loving you in order to get something from you. I'm not loving you in order to gain favor in your eyes. I'm not loving you so that you suddenly become in my debt. No, I'm loving you because I want to be a part of the work of God in your life, and that's my single motive. You could say this pure love is a love that loves someone expecting nothing in return. Now, I'll be the first to admit This is really, really hard, isn't it? It's hard to love in this type of way because every part of our flesh, every part of our humanness screams out, protect yourself. Don't, don't do that. Protect yourself. Don't make yourself vulnerable. Every part of our humanity like screams out at us and says, hey, if you love in that way, you're going to be taken advantage of. And we live in this world where our natural tendency is towards self-preservation, isn't it? I remember when we were pastoring in Oregon, there was a dear family in our church. And they took in this young girl who had become pregnant out of wedlock. And they brought her into their home and they committed themselves to see her through the nine months of her pregnancy. They were going to you know, care for her even afterwards and help her get on her feet with her baby. They bought her clothes. They, they bought her baby clothes. They paid for her doctor's appointment. They just loved on this young gal and took care of her and in a sense made her a part of, of their family. Well, she had the baby and she was still living in their house for a, a couple of months and they came home one day and she was gone. The baby was gone. All the clothes and all the stuff was gone. And what they didn't know was that she had reconnected with her boyfriend, the father of the child. And not only did she take off with this guy, but they ripped them off. They stole a bunch of stuff from their house, a bunch of their valuables. 
And I remember this gal just sitting in my office and just crying. Her heart was broken. And she said this, I will never do that again. I'm never, ever going to reach out like that again. And she was just like, you know, I'm never going to open myself up to be hurt in that type of way. And after a little while of just seeking to comfort them, I said, but you know what? You can't do that. Because, see, the Bible says that we're, we're being called to love like Jesus. In fact, God is seeking to conform us and to make us like his son. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus loved people that he knew in advance were going to betray him and forsake him and say horrible things about him and even seek to have him killed. And yet he loved anyway because that's the kind of lover that he is. And, the, and the, Paul says, and, and it's that type of love that's been poured into your heart by the Holy Spirit that God is seeking to, to get out of your heart so that other people can see it because Jesus said, hey, this is how people are going to know that you belong to me, that you're my disciples. It's going to be by your love for one another. Again, Paul Tripp put it this way. Love is our identity. Love is our calling. Love is our duty. And love is our mission. That's what the Lord has called us to. And Peter is saying, hey, walk in this kind of love. Now, here's what I want you to to see, though. Check this out. I, I love this. I think knowing the fact that this would be hard... And knowing that our flesh, and our, in our humanity, we would, we would struggle with this and kind of push against it. The Holy Spirit, who's inspiring Peter to write these words, he has Peter connect this idea of walking in love with our consumption, our, our planting ourselves in the word of God, because I think there's a powerful connection to this. Again, look at verse 23. He says, having been born again, so that's who you are, new identity, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass, and the grass withers and the flower fades away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Peter's borrowing a picture here from Jesus. Remember Jesus gave that teaching that's been called the parable of the sower. Where the sower, the farmer goes out and he's sowing seed and he's throwing it you know, on different parts of soil. And in that, in that story, in that parable that Jesus tells, he tells us that the seed represents the word of God. And it's such a powerful picture. Because what he's saying is, and and teaching us, is that the seed has life in it. There's life in the seed. There's power in the seed. That it's going to make something. That seed gets planted in the ground, and something beautiful comes up from that seed that has been planted. And here's the picture. Here's what Peter's saying. At your conversion, God's seed, his word, And his life has been planted into you. Jesus said this, The words which I speak to you are spirit and they are life. In other words, there's life in the word of God. 
There's power in the Word of God. Power to transform and change our lives. And this is such an awesome thing. As we continue to study the Word of God, this is what's happening. That seed that's been planted in you is being watered. It's being fertilized. And as it continues to be watered and fertilized, guess what? It brings forth fruit. There's growth that happens from that. And the key fruit of the Holy Spirit, read Galatians chapter 5, is the fruit of love. And the dynamic of the word that Peter's drawing our attention to is this, that it is enduring. In fact, he contrasts it with everything else in this life is fading. It's like the grass of the field and the flowers of the field. They fade and lose their meaning, but God's word endures forever. It's living. It's constant. It's powerful. And as long as we are abiding in God's word and being steadfast to study God's word like we're doing here today, God's word is going to be doing that work of transformation in our lives. Now, this thought, Peter actually continues as he moves into chapter 2. Notice, Peter here is magnifying the role of the word of God in this growth process, but he also reveals the role that we have to play in this growth process as well. Notice he says, therefore, that's pointing back to everything he just said, Therefore, because of that, in other words, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. You've tasted that he's gracious. What Peter's saying is, look, there's certain things in our growth process that need to be laid aside. And Peter mentions traits here that are actually contrary to love. They're the opposite of love. But in order to lay aside these things, I think we also have to, to, to recognize that they're there. We've got to realize, hey, this is something going on in my life. This is something that's there in my heart. I need to deal with this because this is going to stunt my growth. This is going to affect me. And so he says, first of all, laying aside all malice. What's malice? Malice is bitterness unchecked. It's holding grudges and acting out on those grudges against others. He says, laying aside all deceit. Deceit is deliberate dishonesty. It's speaking or acting with ulterior motives. We could also call it manipulation. Deceit is selfish. It's a two-faced attitude that deceives and hurts others for personal gain. He says laying aside hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is pretending to be something that you're not. And then he says laying aside envy. Envy is resentful discontent. Envy is a feeling of displeasure produced in you that rises up in you when you hear you know, that someone else has been blessed or some advantage and suddenly there's just this discontentment. They're like, oh, that that's happening to them. And then he says, in laying aside evil speaking, slander, gossip, words or speech that tears down. Now here's what I want you to catch. Do you see there's a progression to this list? 
It starts with malice, a bitterness that goes unchecked in our hearts. It's a slow-burning anger or resentment that just grows. That's why the writer of Hebrews warns us against roots of bitterness. He says, don't let bitterness get rooted in your heart because here's what it does. It's going to cause you and everyone around you to become defiled. Bitterness is like a weed that just spreads and grows and takes over the garden so that it's all that you see. Bitterness unchecked, though, leads to deceit and hypocrisy. A false flattery where you're pretending, you know, you run into this person that you have bitterness towards and you're like, hey, so good to see you. When inside you're like, oh, I was hoping you weren't going to be here. Yeah. Inside you're like, oh, I just, I'd like to just punch you right now, you know? And, and that, there's a bitterness inside of you and it's like, but you're pretending this de- deception, this hypocrisy. And then that grows to envy, resentful discontent. Where when you see something good that's happening in that person's life, rather than rejoicing, your heart is filled with resentment, which then leads to evil speaking. Because someone, when someone that you don't like is being propped up, what's the natural tendency? You want to tear them down with your words, right? So you start slandering, you start saying things about them to tear them down and try to make yourself look better. You see how that progression works? But Peter says, hey, lay aside all that. That's not who you are. That's not your identity in Christ. Laying that aside, remove the bad and replace it with what is good. As newborn babes, he says, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If indeed, You've tasted that the Lord is gracious. If your life has really been touched by the graciousness of Jesus, you realize that, hey, I got from Jesus what I did not deserve. I deserved hell, and he's given me heaven. I deserve death, and he's given me life. That's his grace. If your life's been touched by his grace, Desire as a newborn babe, the word why? Because when I see what's still wrong with me, I understand that it's the word. It's the Holy Spirit working through the word that's gonna bring those things, touch those things, change and transform those things inside of my life. It's an interesting picture Peter gives, though. As a newborn babe, desire. Or crave the milk of the word. You know what's interesting about newborn babies is they let you know when they're hungry, right? They start crying. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Doesn't matter what they're interrupting. Doesn't matter what time of the night when you're sleeping. They're hungry and they want to be fed. And so they start crying. And most newborns eat every two to three hours. We're talking 8 to 12 times a day. But that's how they grow. That's how they're they're, they're transformed. Peter says, hey, as newborn babies, you desire the pure milk of the word. In other words, let God's word be a constant thing in your life that you're eating of. 
a constant thing that you're craving and you're devouring, that you would constantly be giving yourself to the Word of God and living in it. And here's the interesting thing about when we eat spiritually, that the more you eat spiritually and the more you exercise your faith, you know what happens? The more hungry that you get. It's like the opposite of eating physically. You eat physically and you get full. But when you eat spiritually and exercise your faith, that's the key. You see, some Christians, they just eat and never exercise, and so they become spiritually constipated. They're spiritually bloated, you know? They got all this scripture knowledge, and they're just kind of going around, but they, they, they haven't exercised it. They're not using it. In fact, I was talking to Ray Bentley a few weeks ago, and we were talking about the Jesus People Movement, just having coffee one day, and he says, you know one of the things that was just so radically different about the Jesus People Movement than today is you had all these hippies that were coming to Christ, being taught the Bible for the first time, being exposed to things you know, that they had never, ever heard of, and their, and their response was, okay, this is amazing. How do I apply this to my life? How do I apply this in my relationships? And so they were hearing the word and they were doing it. And then when they would see God meaning them as they were seeking to do it and working and changing, then they were sharing it with all their friends and an entire generation was touched. But Ray said, you know, our problem is today is that we have a tendency, we have a lot of Christians that just are consuming but never doing plethora of Bible teaching available to us, you know, these days and all these different, you know, avenues and all these different, you know, technology. But the problem is, is a lot of times we're just taking in and taking in, but we're never, ever working it out. Peter says here, hey, make sure your desire for the word is growing, that you're devouring it and you're putting it into practice. But you know what? You know how you can ruin your spiritual appetite? Your spiritual appetite gets ruined. It diminishes when you're eating of other things. Think of it in this way. Let's say my wife tells me before church, hey, I'm cooking steaks today, barbecuing. So be hungry when you get home. I love steak. I'm a red meat guy. So I'm like, all right. But for some reason, as church gets over here after third service, I start thinking to myself, you know, gosh, I just am craving something sweet. I think I'm going to drive down to Oceanside to Parlor Donuts. You ever been to Parlor Donuts? We're actually having them at Thrive for our dessert this, this week. They're, they're pretty amazing. It's like this croissant donut kind of thing, and they have this one called French Toast. It's, it's over the top. I mean, it's just amazing. <laughs> So let's say I go, I get a couple parlor donuts, and I'm eating them on the way home. I'm not even going to share them with Denise. I'm like just eating them, you know, on the way home. I pull into the driveway, and I'm like making sure all the frosting's off of me, uh, you know, all the crumbs. I got to hide the sin, you know. And I get in there, and she puts this juicy steak in front of me. Problem is, I'm not very hungry because I've just filled up on a couple donuts. And that's what happens to you and I. You know, when you get up in the morning, I want to encourage you. Make one of the first things that you do after you get some caffeine in you, if you're a caffeine guy like me. After you get some caffeine in you, 
Spend time with Jesus and his word. Because you know what happens if, if your first reaction is to check the news or Facebook or Instagram or your stocks? Not only is your time to spend in the word diminished, but your appetite gets diminished as well. But here's what's interesting. When you take that time to make a priority, I'm going to spend this time with Jesus. And here's a crazy thought. Isn't it amazing to think that you get up in the morning and Jesus is just like waiting. I can't wait to spend time with you today, Rob. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, it tells us that the Holy Spirit has been placed in our heart. And he's in our heart and he's crying out every day, Abba, Father, Daddy. What does that mean? That inside of you is a built-in longing for intimacy with God. Isn't that amazing? That every day, like you have this sense, you feel it. Many of you, you feel it. Like, I should read my Bible today. And that's not because some pastor told you to do that or you read that in some book. It's bigger than that. It's the Holy Spirit. He's pulling you, drawing you toward intimacy with Jesus. And when that becomes our first mode of operation to start our day, it's beautiful because everything else that we view the rest of our day gets filtered through the lens of our time with Jesus, of our time in God's word. So I want to encourage you in that way. Peter's telling us here, he's encouraging us here, he's exhorting us here that, that the love of God that's been poured into you, Jesus, he wants that now to be poured out of you as you learn to walk in holiness, as you learn to walk in love as you realize that that is your identity. As we close today, you know, it's Valentine's Day. And there's a lot of people today, they're looking for love in all the wrong places. No pun intended there. It's true. But in Jesus, we have a lover who loves in a perfect way. In Jesus, we have a lover who always has your best interest at heart. He's always faithful. He's always true. He'll never break your heart. It's like we were singing today. He'll never, ever let you down. He'll never betray you. And he gave his life for you. On a wooden cross to take the pain and the punishment that we all deserve because of our sin. It's been said it wasn't nails that held Jesus to the cross. It was his love. His love for you and I. And his desire for all of us today is that we would know his love. That we would know how greatly we are loved by God and that we would walk in that love. That we would embrace that love. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ or, or maybe you're a prodigal and you've walked away from the Lord like we were singing today, hey, the Father is saying to you, I love you. That's why I gave my son for you. And I'm calling you to come back home or I'm calling you to understand that real life is found in a relationship with me. And I want to encourage you today, if you have not embraced Jesus or if you've walked away from him and you've been doing your own thing, I want to encourage you today that you would open up your heart to him again. 
and begin to, to receive his love and receive his forgiveness and receive his grace and then allow this incredible thing that Jesus described as being born again to happen to you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for this amazing love that you just put on display when you sent Jesus, your son, to come to this earth, to die on a cross, to pay the price for our sins. And Lord, for those of us here who have been touched by your love, we are so thankful. And today we want to check our hearts to see if there are these things in us distracting us, hindering us, that we need to lay aside. God, I pray that we would be willing to do that. I pray, Lord, that as your followers, we would be those who first and foremost crave your word, knowing that it's living and powerful to transform our lives. But God, I also pray for anybody here today that doesn't know you. Anybody here today that maybe at one time professed to know you but has walked away from you. Lord, I pray today on this Valentine's Day of 2021 as you are calling out to them and wanting them to know how much they are loved by you. I pray that today they would turn from their sin and turn to you, their Savior. That you might, this very day, in this very moment, bring them to life. That today could be a new start for them. And with our head bowed and our eyes closed, I just want to ask this morning, if you're here in this place today, and either you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, You've never accepted his forgiveness. And today, you just know, right now, God's calling you to become a part of his family. And Simon, I want you to acknowledge that by saying, by just raising your hand, I want to pray for you. But maybe you're here today and you're, you at one time professed Christ, maybe even walked with the Lord, but you know that you've walked away from Him, you've been living in rebellion. You might not even be sure why you even came here today. But now you know it was God because He's been drawing you, drawing you back. And if you're here today and in either one of those places, either want to give your life to Christ for the first time or you're that prodigal son or daughter and you want to come home, I'd like you just to acknowledge that right now. Say, yeah, that's me by raising up your hand. So I can pray for you. Anyone at all that would say, yeah, that's me. If you're watching online, I can't see you, but God can. Just tell him, hey, yeah, that's me. Say, yeah, I want my heart to be right with the Lord. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you, Lord, for your grace. We thank you, Lord, for... You, how perfectly you love us. And Lord, I pray that you would help all of us here 
to embrace. Hey, this is our identity, God's spirit in us. God's love has been poured into us. Show us, Lord, how you desire that love to be poured out of us. In every sphere of influence represented here in this room, we love you, we praise you, in Jesus' name. Amen.